The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily represent the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. So, Dave sent me, or sent all of us, this uh, this uh, YouTube video from the Red Sox home opener. Oh, yeah. Now, see, I didn't see that because that was when we were down in Sun and Fun. And, yeah. And uh, um, and I and I, I'm I'm going to lose my credentials as a Red Sox fan because I spaced that day. I had all been planning to watch it on the internet, and then uh, and then I sort of spaced and, and didn't. But. They actually credential you people. Yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> but so this video is the the fighter plane flyby. Amy, have you did you have you seen this YouTube? No, I haven't. Yeah, there's a link on the page there. If you scroll down a little bit, the one that says "Kids don't try this at your old ball game." Oh, that's okay. it. That's it. Okay. And, uh, yes. But what it is for our listeners is uh, it's it's your, your well it's not your basic fighter flyby uh, during the national anthem at a baseball game. Uh, as the four ship formation goes to fly over Fenway Park, the trailing aircraft actually does a barrel roll around the outside of the other three aircraft and uh, um, he was kind of out of his slot and rather than rejoining from below he uh, like I said kind of did that barrel roll looped around and still didn't quite come in at the bottom where he's supposed to be it it looks to me like a lot of that was planned I mean the, the slot closed up as they got to the stadium and he really had no choice. I mean, I didn't see his spoiler out. I, didn't, I mean, a speed break out. Yeah. Uh, he, he, that, I don't know. I, I, I remain to be convinced. Of yeah, that. I think he was hot dogging on purpose. He was trying to do a little extra. I think, yeah, I think everybody was in on that. Yeah, and, and he got a little <laughs> extra, apparently. Uh, uh, he might have. Because uh, one of the rumors I heard was that he was grounded right after that. He apparently, who said this? Dave, did you say this? Somebody said that uh, in the process of doing that, he busted the altitude that they were restricted to. It looked like he was too low. He looked, yeah, he, look, he got pretty low on the bottom of the barrel roll. And, uh, yeah, I think he, you know, that that's the allegation, or that was the point of conversation, was that he busted the floor. Get easy busted. for me to say. Busted the floor for that pass. And, uh, you know, everybody gets real pins and needles when their aircraft overfly and big crowds. And so, you know, all this stuff like what we see at Sun and Fun and Air Venture, it's all majorly choreographed, and everybody's got to hit their marks. And, well, even these little missing man flybys that they do at the end of the national anthem that they play at the beginning of sporting events where the, the four come by and somebody pulls up. And uh, this one was a good deal more interesting. It was pretty interesting. Uh, and, and in the scheme of things, I guess it wasn't that unsafe, but it could have got ugly, I guess. Well, yeah. interesting is the camera watches them flying away from the stadium, uh-huh. and he doesn't even it, get it, close to back in formation. It, it, no. Yeah, it looks like there was no there was no hole for him. There was no hole for him to get in formation. I don't know what his slot number was, but that slot closed a long time ago. Now he can always you know pick number four or something. But um, yeah, it looked uh, like he, he was the number three try. ship and didn't make it. Yeah, he he wasn't trying. So I again, I don't know how much of that was was impromptu and how much of that was planned. I tend to think that a lot of it was planned. Yeah. 
I think uh, I just I, I just hope it doesn't go so far as uh, you know the two pilots at Go Airlines in Hawaii have had it go. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's right, the guys. That's actually becoming a thing in the forums of the. Uh, let's see now, folks. We we just did a little bit of administrative stuff there that we edited out, and um, I forget what we were talking about. Oh, the Go uh, the Go uh, airline guys who got fired. Yeah, we were going from. Uh, Go here to the go there. Base, ba- baseball game opening air show pilot. <laughs> this has become just... a little bit of a thing in the uncontrolled airspace forums because uh, uh, a couple of us, myself included, have chimed in saying, uh, you know, given that I really know nothing about the whole subject, um, I wasn't all that concerned about the fact these guys got fired. It was seen to me that the least they could do is manage to let one of them stay awake for the 20-minute flight or whatever. Um, and, and a few other people have chimed in and with various opinions. The, the thing is that we have one listener who's become active in the forums who is, in fact, an airline pilot. And he obviously takes this very seriously. Um, and this is very personal to him because he's been pointing out about the fact that uh, that the uh, scheduling rules, the work that work workload that that airline pilots are under these days can get pretty nasty and uh, it's horrendous yeah amy it is well i was gonna say i came back from washington dc just the other night which is part of my hang-up this evening why i'm so relaxed but i came on a flight (laughs) uh, um, and i'm talking to the crew because it's a one-stop and so by virtue of the fact that i don't get off they can't get off but the pilots can the flight attendants can't. And I'm asking the flight attendants a couple of questions, and they're talking about the, the pilots and where they've been that day and things like that. These people, by the time we got in, it was 12.30 a.m., and they had been working for about 13 and a half hours. And, yes, this is legal, even in the U.S. And I'm thinking to myself, damn. Right. I am really glad I'm not them because I'm back here with my eyes closed, you know, taking taking a few minutes here. I had left my hotel room at 6 a.m. and it was 1.15 when I hit the house mm-hmm. on Saturday morning. Yeah. And I know how long it took them to get to the hotel because I live here and I knew which hotel they were going to, you know. Oh, yeah. And, and I'm thinking and to myself, to be back that's got to be right early tomorrow. Well, no, they got to sleep in a little bit the next morning. In fact, that's the beauty of the FAA rules is if they overschedule you or if you're late and you end up overscheduled the night before, they have to push back the departure time the next day. But that's what creates the cycle of late departures, which create the cycle of late arrivals. You know where I'm going here, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a, well, it's a vicious circle, and uh, you know, the, the, there's no question that airline scheduling is is the culprit uh, in that episode. That doesn't excuse both of them from taking a nap. Oh no, 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 no. no question in my no question in my mind about that. You have got to have somebody awake. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I mean, but, it's, uh, it's a joke, but I've I've caught co-pilots and pilots napping on me before, and I usually smack them or flick them or something and say, hey, you're supposed to tell me if you're going to take a nap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, what I guess that's the beginning of the lesson for us GA pilots about, about I don't know, fatigue and, and, and whatnot. I mean, what do you guys have any personal minimums about, about flying when you're tired? Yeah. Um, I, better ones than I used to. Yeah, um, there there have been lots of occasions where I just didn't feel like flying. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it didn't have to go. It didn't have to necessarily be there. Um, or, you know, I, I try to build enough slack into trips by private airplane that, all right, well, I don't feel like going tonight. Uh, I'll go first thing in the morning and I'll go get some sleep and I'll get up first thing in the morning and, and uh, I'll do it like that. Uh, I've done Jack, the same thing for other. Yeah. Jack, the, the, the key here is when you're GA flying, there is absolutely no excuse. There is nothing you have to be there Sorry. for, yep. ever, ever. Would you agree with me, Jeb? Oh, absolutely. There's, there's, there's nothing. Um, what's the old saying? Um, there's nothing worth dying for. Well, there's that, but, but um, I, I can't remember the, the the saying that I was taught, but uh, or learned, but uh, um, better to you know be there in one piece the next day than be in pieces somewhere you know the previous day um there, there's no excuse and uh i i have of course i have a close friend of mine who's uh he usually gets there two hours late three days later <laughs> makes sense no no he, he he's he's he says well i'll be there on you know sunday or something like that at two well he gets there at five on tuesday okay but he gets there. He, but he, he, that's the punchline. He always gets there. That's good. That's good. Well, let me make this thing official by saying, uh, welcome, folks, to episode number 79 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the general aviation podcast. We're recording this episode on Sunday evening, April 27, 2008. And uh, 79, man, we're working our way up there 100. Just realized we've hey. long since been eligible for Medicare. Yeah, that's right. Let me tell you. And I just need to make this statement. Yeah. There are three days left to the school year for my children. My seniors really? in high school have three days left of school. Yet, What's up with that? Yet they skip school on Friday. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, I'm in a meeting in D.C. I am called by the school. <laughs> <laughs> so they, I, I hate when that happens. Yeah, well, it's <laughs> They were, they you gotta were, love my life. They were overly tired and were afraid they were going to fall asleep in class, so they decided to cut class. Uh, apparently, there was a movie that afternoon, and they claimed they had better things to do. I see. I see. It's like, what are they going to do? Fire us at this point? We got three days left. That's right. Let we're going to graduate. We got enough points. We got enough credits. The worst they're going to do is suspend us for three days, which means we don't have to go to those days either. <laughs> Let me say hi to the gang that are here in the virtual hangar with us this <laughs> evening. Uh, one of those voices you're hearing is Dave Higdon. Dave is an aviation photographer, a senior editor for Kit Planes magazine, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales magazine. And he's talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. Hiya, David. Oh, doing good. Doing yeah. good. I never played hooky until the last week of my senior year. There you go, David. Yeah, I knew there was somebody out here who was just like him. Uh-huh. I never played hooky when I was in high school, and then, but then when I went to college, I, I just felt bad habits. And uh, I, the idea that I could like not go to class and and that was fine. Yeah, I mean not fine, but you know, you know, you weren't going to get called for what's, it. What's know? really dangerous is learning that you can read the book, skip the class, and still pass. Yeah, and that and reading the book probably would have been a good idea. But anyways, also with us in the hangar this evening is Jeb Burnside. Jeb is an aviation journalist currently serving as editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine, and he's talking to us from Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. 
Hi, Jack. Hi, Dave. Hi, Amy. And yes, I had been have been known to cut class in high school. I never would have guessed that of you, Jeb. <laughs> I, I can't imagine. That. I'm sure it's shocking. Uh huh. Yeah. And also with us this evening is Amy Laboda. Amy is a freelance freelance aviation writer. Yeah, I know. Easy for me to say. Freelance aviation <laughs> writer and the editor in chief of Aviation for Women magazine. And she's talking to us from Fort Myers, Florida. Hi, Amy. Hi, how are you? So are you saying that are you saying that you never skipped school? Well, you know, here's the thing. Yeah. I think I went to school about three days a week my entire senior year. It didn't do me any good, I must tell you. How did you get away with that? Uh well, in the beginning I learned that black coffee and vitamins was a lethal mix on the stomach and that you would lose your breakfast in first period and be sent home because the nurse can't stand anybody who is puking. Okay? Oh, my goodness. You're so it's a strategy. You're a genius. It was, it was really smart. Then I discovered something even easier, which was that there were a lot of kids in my family and a lot of noise in the morning and chaos, and nobody noticed if you got your little sister a ride to school. Because she'd tell if you didn't. Uh, I see. Okay. And I am Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. I'm up here in Boston, Massachusetts. And playing hooky this very moment. uh, It's Sunday night. Uh, What am I playing hooky from? I'm here doing my podcast. I'm where I'm supposed to be. He is, which is better than I could say. So there's a house marathon going on in the other room. I just want you to know that. Oh, the TV show House. Okay. Oh, TV show House. I thought maybe it was a real estate program. Right. No. Oh, that's right. There is a, there's a, yeah, it's, no, you're, am I right? It's the, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, the, you're, the, abs- the doctor you're show, absolutely house. right. It's the doctor show. No, I, I like house because it's like diagnosing things. It's like, you know, trying to figure out what was wrong with the EFIS the other day felt like you felt like it's, you were on house. It, it, it's, it's Sherlock Holmes for the medical set. I've only watched that's one or two episodes, right. but I know people are crazy for it. And, uh, that guy's crazy. He's, got, he's, he's yeah, weird, that's... right? He's an odd guy. Right. Oh, very weird. Yeah. Very weird. Great yeah. eyes, you know. Anyhow, ah, but the Ephus, okay. There we go. Now Ephus we're getting to it out. here. Yeah. <laughs> Great eyes. The Ephus turned out to be the magnetometer. Just so you know. All right. Ah, which <laughs> <Ephus>? <laughs> what, what, what was this in, in your airplane? Yes, in the new airplane. So far, it's been a magnetometer, a CHT, an EGT probe, and we probably have to put louvers on because that oil ain't cool enough yet. Yeah. I see. Is this the RV? Yeah, 13 okay. hours. All right, we're but this back. is what you learned. Let's come back to it. Let's come back to it. Back. Well, hours. Meanwhile, the debonair just keeps trucking along. That's right. Ah, well, That's but right. you didn't have to do the test flying on it. I, I know. I'm just yanking your chair. So, Amy, <laughs> we've all had a chance on the podcast to uh, share uh, our experiences and our sort of, you know, uh, f- experiences from Sun and Fun. Um, you were there, as we've pointed out a couple of times, and we saw you. We spent a lot of time together at Sun and Fun, but sadly, you weren't able to be there for any of the episodes we did. And uh, I'd love to hear what your kind of take was from Sun and Fun. What was uh, what was the experience like for you this year? What did you think of the show? I was there. Yep. Really? You, you were there. Okay, that was this year? <laughs> yep. I saw you. I saw you. Actually, yeah. I have pictures. That's right. I have, I have pictures. That's true. Nice pictures, by the way. I did see some of those. They did. They um, came out. I wasn't sure. Okay. I had a really interesting experience this year at Sun and Fun because for the first time, I was doing a daily at Sun and Fun. 
So I was doing a daily blog for Kit Plains. Right, at you were, and, yeah, we talked about you were writing Frank. for the Kit Plains blog. That was pretty interesting. It, I liked it. What did it you was think very, about it? Uh, it was a different way of looking at the world because I had to go out every morning and I had to find three stories that I could write about that day. Mm-hmm. And, and I had to finish them. I had to get to the beginning, the middle, the end. And um, I did that. I was really impressed with myself. Uh, being a magazine person on a bi-monthly, not even a monthly, you can imagine the luxury of, of how long things take to put together. Oh, yeah. And now you're turning it around inside of, of basically six, seven hours. Yeah. Um, I did find some really cool things mm-hmm. out there, some new products, um, some things that, that some people would think were purely for the uh, – TSO uh, certified part 23 market, but in fact, the price point and the reliability point looks like it's probably going to be a very good home built um, type piece of equipment. So that was kind of interesting. Yeah. What was that? That was actually the um, new Aspen Avionics products. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And you, you, yeah, you have EFD to agree 1, with me on this. Yeah, and the reason is because look at look at what they want for it. The most expensive, loaded with everything, product is thirteen grand. Well, thirteen grand doesn't even kiss the halfway point on a Chelton Sport, mm-hmm. and people are putting those in OP Technologies. You can't get into for under thirty. And you can put a pair of these in. Uh, yes. One MFD and one PFD type. Uh, have them work so that one can back up the other. Uh, have all this uh, redundancy, all this uh, different display type simultaneously. All your six-pack instruments. No need for backup on some of it. Uh, and do that for thirteen or fourteen. Yeah. And stick two of those in there with the lower level P- PFD. And the top level MFD, you're in under 18. You go wildly redundant and uh, uh, feature feature deep. Yes, mm-hmm. I, I I agree. And the profile, the the physical size of it, will really fit very nicely into a lot of cockpits that were built with round instruments, and now are looking out there. And let's say you finished your glass air in 2002. 2003. He could be my neighbor across the street. He's got all round instruments, but he could afford even now to comfortably retrofit two of his round instruments with an Aspen Avionics. It just makes sense. Yeah. Well, absolutely. The the form factor, the way they designed and engineered it to fit into, you know, uh, a top and bottom pair of six pack holes. Uh, yeah, that's that's got to be one of the genius simplicity solutions of all time. It really it's is. The fact that we've not seen elegant. that somewhere before is amazing. Yeah. And I got to tell you, there are a lot of people in the home-built market, myself included, flying with tso equipment inside the airplane. Mm-hmm. And yeah. because of the reliability factor because of the, of, of, uh, we like things that are certified and we combine a lot of certified uncertified. There's even questions about what you need to be legally IFR. And some people believe that you have to have TSO instruments in there. Now, in fact, that's not true. However, there are a lot of people who are doing it anyway. Do you understand what I mean? First, some of our listeners may not know what's TSO. 
Uh, Technical that is standard a, order. Thank you very much. And what is it, exactly, it really? What does it mean? <laughs> it's, it's the FAA stamp of approval on the instrument. It means that, the, that it has a paperwork trail to match it. It means that uh, the manufacturer has put it through the FAA's uh, rigorous testing program, and it passed. And, can, and, and there's, there's TSOs for IFR GPS. There's TSOs for multifunction displays, lightning detectors, uh, weather data link equipment, uh, primary flight displays. There's TSOs for the old six-pack instruments. Right. Uh, that, that's where I was headed. There's, there's TSOs for just about everything in the airplane. Just about everything in the airplane. In, in a certificated only... airplane. That is uh, correct. As opposed to an experimental airplane. And, you know, you can you can go out and fly IFR in an experimental with, with less than TSO equipment if you so choose. Uh, you cannot do so. Well, it's squiggly. Um, you can, you can <laughs> probably... Probably get by depending on what it is in a uh, certified airplane, but um, um, you might not want to do that. Do it. Well, let's put it this way: from a legality standpoint, in a certified airplane, you're supposed to be using TSO equipment as your primary navigation mm-hmm. device. However, you can use whatever the heck you want for situational awareness. Right. Yeah. All right. Anything else at Sun and Fun? What else did you see? Yeah. Uh, I got the chance to uh, fly a Xenon gyroplane, and that was a great fun. Uh, I don't know how many of you know, I do have a gyroplane rating. Uh, contrary to what the NAFI website says, I do not have a gyroplane instructor rating. Uh, so let's debunk that myth. Um, however, I do have the commercial gyroplane rating and have had it since 1988. I don't get to fly gyroplanes a lot. However, I can tell you that uh, this new Xenon was one of the easiest gyroplanes to fly. I had the opportunity a couple days after Sun and Fun to go over to Port St. Lucie and meet with the uh, pilot I flew with at Sun and Fun and finish doing a little more flying and some air-to-air photography. And I got to do some takeoffs and landings in the in the machine. And I can tell you that it is hands down the easiest gyroplane for an airplane pilot to fly. Really? Why is yes. that? Very cool. It flies very much like an airplane, even on takeoff and landing. Uh-huh. Hmm. That's why there's very little. You got to put the stick in this corner and wait. And when it gets up to this many RPM, put it over here. Then you got to twist this, pull that, yank back here, and hit the throttle. Right. You, it, it, there's not as much monkey business yeah. to do. What was the issue that that afternoon? Because Dave and I had an opportunity to kind of hang out by the fence and watch you do that flight. Um, there was some issue with the wind or the weather or the terrain or the the runway surface. What what was going on there? Actually, what what he wanted to do, and I'm talking about Mike Bantram, who is the pilot that I flew with that day, the demo pilot. Mm-hmm. Uh, what he wanted to do was he wanted to be sure, since there was only 600 feet of clear space in order to do the takeoff, yeah. that we were not uh, weight critical. So that was really what he was up against. He wanted enough wind down the runway to counteract the short runway that we had. So uh, it it was a combination of factors, and he doesn't like to live close to the edge. And that's really what it comes to. And I really respect that in a demo pilot. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's There's great. A, it's always so much pressure at big events like this to uh, to show the airplanes off and and sometimes pressure on the journalist to, to squeeze in as much as you possibly can and you know it's just there's so much so many more saner places to really work out an aircraft for for that kind of uh, reporting than trying to fly in yeah yeah oh absolutely the case and fly-ins are not my favorite places to fly machines all I really like to do is to get close to them. And, yeah, if I'm going to have a chance to take a hop in it, it's really hard to turn that down unless yeah. the circumstances are completely adverse to it. Um, but I always take a hard look at the machine. I don't know if you guys noticed me do the walk around on it. And uh, I take a hard examination of who the pilot I'm going to be flying with. Because yeah. the reality is I've never flown the machine before. Right. So I've right. got to trust that person, and I've got to be comfortable that they understand their limits. Yeah. It was a cool airplane. And uh, is it right to call it an airplane? Yeah, you know, you can if you want to. An air, a cool aircraft. Um, there you go. It was sure pretty. Uh, yeah. That bright yellow and the lines were great. And, uh, you know, we, we talked about this. Do you know anything about the panel that was in that aircraft? I noticed that it was a big flat flat panel. It was a Dynon. Okay. I'm not familiar with that. Tell us. Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, the Dynon is one of the most popular EFIS for uh, the sport and light uh, sport aircraft market. Uh, it is experimental only. It is a medium resolution screen. It has uh, quick uh, reactions and it, it moves in all the quadrants you need it to move in. Um, it is probably one of the least expensive of the EFIS out there that you can get in color. Um, very popular as a backup instrument in aircraft like the RV set. Um, but one of the things that I don't care for in the Dynon is that you've got to have GPS in order to um, resolve where you are in space. I see. So any yeah. outage of the GPS is going to cause an outage of the, of the Dynon. Um, uh, so from uh, the, the, the nav part, or, or does it display? The, yeah, does it, it display like airspeed and that kind of stuff too? Or oh, absolutely! It gives you airspeed. It gives you altitude. It gives you vertical speed. It gives you uh, horizontal uh, 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 artificial horizon. And my problem with it is that you lose GPS. You lose that information. So it's, it's getting airspeed and, and and vertical speed from the GPS as well. Yes, it's resolving between the two. Uh, so it's not, it doesn't have a, a, like a magnetometer, okay, separate. Uh, for instance, my Grand Rapids technology boxes have a separate magnetometer and a separate AHARS unit, and they do not rely on, and, and with pitot and static input into the AHARS, they do not rely on GPS to resolve where am I, what, am I right side up? Am I upside down? How fast am I? How slow am I? And where am I in space time? Hmm. Okay? Yeah. Uh, so when we lost the magnetometer, we lost the artificial horizon portion of the PFD. But I still had the MFD portion of it. Okay. okay. Also, I have I have dual AHARs, dual magnetometers, and dual displays. So even though I lost one magnetometer, 
I didn't lose all of my PFD capability. I only lost it on one screen. I see. I see. Okay. Um, we should move on here. Any other things about Sun and Fun you want to? Uh, what do you think of the crowd of the sh- of the show in general? I thought the crowd was pretty good. Uh, I I was there Saturday. I don't know how many of you guys were there yeah, still we were there Saturday. Saturday. We all thought Saturday, I think we thought that Saturday was the biggest day of the week. Saturday oh, absolutely. Was the biggest day I saw. Yeah. Uh, Sunday yeah. was petering out when we left. So. Yeah, plus because it rained on Sunday. But uh. Yeah, you didn't have the weather that you needed to have to draw in the general public on Sunday. But you had it for you had it for Friday and you had it for Saturday. I had a really good time at the uh, at the night air show. How about you guys? That was fun. Oh, yeah, and and thank you for for tipping us off on that uh, little party across the way. That was a really nice spot to go and uh, meet up with our friend Craig. And uh, I'm yeah, I want to plug the the FBO that actually hosted that party. And I'm I'm sorry, it was it was like national. National Flight, is that what they call it? National Aviation, yes. National Aviation, uh, one of the FBOs at Lakeland, and they hosted a party for uh, all of their customers and friends of their customers and whatnot, and uh, and so we went over there and uh, had some great ribs and uh, and got to watch the night air show, which is a cool thing. It's, it was actually kind of a sunset into into darkness air show. but uh, it, was well, it was really different watching it from the north side of the airport looking south instead of the other way around. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, it was, wasn't it? Uh, and I thought it was pretty cool that a lot of the um, acts came right in over our head, it felt like. Yeah, I know. Well, I, you know, we were I, – I, I, do they actually make a box? Were we, were we supposed to be there? You know, or do they – for the air show box, do they clear out that space <clears throat> during the day? No. No, they don't. No. But you know, and and Dave can can back me up on this. Uh, what did you think about? The, I guess you weren't there to see the Thunderbirds practice that afternoon when I was at, down by the helicopters. But uh, I don't know where they thought the fence was. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I can tell you they were pretty much right over my head. Yeah, yeah, they were. They were definitely over the crowd off a lot during that that flying show. All right, we better move on here. So, uh, Sun and Fun was great. Uh, we're all going back again next year, and uh, in the meantime, we're getting ready for Oshkosh, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. Speaking of um, Florida, so a lot of people who were getting ready to go to Sun and Fun were all worked up about this, uh, as as Dave put in the uh, in the notes here, the nefarious Florida tax code. This thing where you might get a tax bill for having your newly bought airplane in Florida. Dave, what's the story here? They they tried to pass a law, or they're in the process of passing a law, or or, or? Uh, the yeah, the Florida Air Trades Association working with the legislature, and and I'm sure with the encouragement of a couple of the national uh, aviation groups that have weighed in on this. To uh, what's the word I want here? Uh, rationalize the treatment of aircraft with uh, treatment of other uh, pieces of transportation equipment like RVs and boats. And And, uh, right now there's a little bit of a disadvantage to being in the airplane, to having an airplane if you bring it into the state within six months of buying it and you haven't paid a sales and use tax equal to or greater than what they think you should be paying. Uh, So there's work on changing that. and it's it's looking a little better than 50-50 from everything that I've read and heard. A big boo hiss, on the other hand, to the state of Maine. Yeah. Sad. Which has a year-long period 
under which you can fall victim to their sales and their, their use tax. Uh, if you've had the airplane in state for more than 21 days, for any combination of reasons that they won't exempt, they had a chance. They had a piece of legislation in front of them that had apparently come out of the committee network uh, that would uh, right. rationalize that with some treatment of some other things and make it a little less onerous and a lot more, a lot friendlier for aircraft owners and, and visitors. And uh, somewhere along the line, that bill got gutted, and what went to the uh, floor for a vote had nothing in there about changing the laws. So. Uh, the uh, the uh, the word was that they were uh, reluctant to give up a good source of revenue, and uh, this was after being informed by some of the national pilot groups that there wouldn't be much revenue because, knowing this, a lot more people are aware of it and will not bring their new airplanes into the state for at least a year. Right, right. It's a big mess. It's a big mess. I guess maybe the time has finally come for us to definitely get your buddy from Naseo into the uh, virtual hangar, and uh, maybe he can tell us a little bit about what's going on here and give us a big overview. I'm, I'm blanking on his name. Help me. Never Henry. Henry Ogradzinski. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, because this whole thing is crazy. I guess... It happens. It's happening in states all over the country. But uh, well, what, what he's going to tell you is some variation of a lot of states are seeing a real pinch in revenues and uh, a, a increased demand for their services and economic development help and so forth. And right now, anything that looks like it's going to pay off a few bucks is got the attention of it of, of state legislatures. And if it's been paying off, uh, it's getting very little attention for changing that. So. But it's it's false economy, all right? Whatever money they might be able to collect on taxes is going to be more than offset by the money they lose because people aren't going to fly into their state as much. They're going to lose well, tourist yeah, dollars. It's, They're going to lose, you know. As we become more aware of the states that uh, are willing to squeeze pilots like this, squeeze aircraft owners like this, it becomes really easy, hideously easy, for most of these folks to find another destination to visit during that period of which their aircraft is a, is a, a potential target. That's right. There's plenty of $100 hamburgers out there, um, but, uh, you know, we'll just go find another one. So, Amy, you just got back from uh, from a show. Where were you? I was at the Aircraft Electronics Association show in Washington, D.C. at the Gaylord National on its opening weekend, and a uh, very <laughs> lovely Gaylord. The Gaylord, my goodness, they do build some grand palatial kind of places. They're big into atriums, which is nice. This is uh, actually, it was a little fishing hole near Oxon Hill Farm in uh, Maryland, and they took it over and uh, built this grand resort, and now there's a Weston down the street and a Hampton Inn across the street where I got to stay because uh, the room rates were a little lower. But uh, it was quite the place. And I have to tell you that uh, Ms. Paula Dirks, uh, uh, who is the president of Aircraft Electronics Association? Puts on a heck of a nice show. Yeah, what's so, it, what's it like? I, I've never. I, I mean, I'm, I've never been for sure. I don't know whether you guys have been. It's been. Imagine. Yeah. All of the instrument manufacturers, all of the EFIS manufacturers, all of the radio manufacturers, at uh, Oshkosh, and NBAA. 
all in one place wow. at one time. So what, what, was the, what was the story there? What was the theme? What was the trend? I personally came because I'm looking for stories about women who are interested or are, are in avionics tech, technology positions. And that's what I was looking for, female avionics techs. But uh, what I did see, there were a couple of uh, experimental aircraft stories there. Vistanav was there, obviously, with their newest. Have you seen what Vistanav can do? That they can bring in your FLIR at the end of a flight. So you can do synthetic vision all the way around. And right at the point where you really need to see what's going on on the ground, you can click and your forward-looking infrared radar picture will pop up where your your ADI was. And you can literally huh. see if there's a dog or a, a deer on the runway or uh, what the runway environment looks like itself when you really need it, which is on landing. Uh-huh. Sure. Yeah. That sounds cool. Isn't it's- that? I mean, that to me is just an amazing marriage of synthetic and, and, and real-time vision. You know, yeah, and the, and you can have this on a Samsung. Uh, well, you can't have that on a Samsung Q1. You can have VistaNav, and it's uh, on a Samsung Q1. But even their 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 higher end product, you can have it for I think what is it seven grand? Yeah, and that's not a lot of money. So that's pretty cool. So that yeah. was interesting. PS Engineering came out with a new product, uh, which is an integrated. Uh, 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 switching system for your radios and your intercom, but it's also Bluetooth. So ah, you, you can have your your radio and your your MP3 player, your cell phone, anything that's Bluetooth hooked in like that, which is pretty cool too. Uh, if you're a gadget and gizmo kind of person, oh, Mark is uh, a clever dude. There you go. Yeah. He's a Clever dude, that's absolutely true. I also looked at the new um, WX uh, F, X, XM Weather box, the, uh-huh. the receiver. Have you uh-huh. guys seen that? I have that's not. Got, tell, tell, tell me about it. It's got a memory. It won't forget who you are, ah. so you have to refresh when XM kicks you off. Oh like yeah, yeah. Some you know, company. I I've, I have not had that problem. I've got four different XM receivers that I use with great irregularity and not a single time have I been kicked off. I've never had to refresh them. Now go figure. God bless you. You must fly more than two. That's all I I have to say. um, I'm to the point where I basically refresh as a default on my way out the door. When I know I want that, I refresh on the way out the door because it's that consistent in not being there when I want it to be there. It frustrates me. Now, something else I learned about the box that I have, which is really only about three years old, is that it's extremely sensitive to drops in voltage. So my airplane, the voltage through the cigarette, you know, well, the the 9-volt or the 12-volt power source, I should call Uh it that, Um, can be somewhat irregular depending on what your power settings are. And that's certainly true on the ground as you're getting out to the runway. Um, And a lot of times you want to see what's going on before you lift off, yes or no. Yes, in my book. Absolutely. Um, So what I learned was that this new box is not hypersensitive 
two drops in uh, voltage. So it, it'll hold it right down to, I think, 0.9 or something like that. And also, it will hold on to what you last had and wait for your voltage to come back up. So if you have a drop and it drops completely off and comes back, it won't force you to reboot to be able to pick up your weather again. That's cool, cool. too. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought those were two particularly for for what I do kind of things. Yeah, uh, very, sure. very uh There were also obviously a lot of high-end stuff there, uh, the Honeywells and the L3s and the, you know, the Smart Deck and Rockwell uh, Collins. Rockwell Collins. Everybody was there. That's absolutely true. Well, tell us about, did you get a chance to see the new Bendix King uh, multifunction? I did. Carbon 530 uh, beater. I did. Uh, it was just what they said it was going to be. Uh, you know, the problem I have, though, is I yeah. question whether it's too little too late. I That's have a good to question. It's, it's five years ago would have been a great time. Yeah. I just don't see them getting enough of a market share uh, to make it worthwhile to keep doing this only because they're so late to the game. So late to the game on this one, guys. Uh, Honestly, I thought that that what was far more impressive to me, you you guys all saw at Sun and Fun, which was the Garmin 1000 synthetic vision, Mm -hmm. which which really is a step up from the Chelton synthetic vision. Chelton's not going to like me for saying that, but yeah, the problem for me is that the G one thousand probably costs more than the airplane that I want to buy. So, well, yes, that is absolutely correct. There, there is that problem. Yeah. So, and uh, you know, and and there are a lot of issues I'm watching with people who are trying to retrofit with these high end Garmin products. The nine hundred X, the nine, uh, is it the six hundred? Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, yeah. These products are so expensive to put in and they all have to be factory done that I, I question whether they're really going to make a, a dent, you know? Yeah. Well, I think, I think Honeywell will do nicely with its new all in one box for, for a number of reasons. Uh, one, there's a lot of folks out there flying without Garmin four thirties or five thirties still. Yeah. Uh, yes. They're flying around with KMD 250, 550, 850 multifunction display and standalone GPS and, and radios. Uh, and they, when time came, they opted to put the MFD in because they felt like they were covered with the other boxes that they had, but they wanted that moving map capability and the capability of, of showing data link weather and, and terrain and other things. Uh, I think guys like that or pilots like that are uh, going to be some of the first ones that are going to want to step up because the new box will play a lot of those other hazards on the same screen that uh, delivers the multifunction, I mean, delivers the, the moving map, and the uh, uh, which is really a sharp, clear screen. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's got to be one of the brighter screens I've seen uh, this side of a, uh, a four-tube uh, turbine-level EFA screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, uh, I, I think they should have been at the market years ago. Uh, man, they announced this Apex system. All I remember was that it was a big doodah 
preceding NBAA in New Orleans, mm-hmm. I want to say early 90s. Yeah, yeah I, I hear what you're saying. I still think that a lot of these people, when they see the price point of an Aspen Avionics, are going to go in that direction. Yeah, you get more I for your money. Yeah. Speaking of uh, electronic gadgets, Jeb, what's the latest on your uh, quest for an electronic chart? Well, I have hardware. When, uh, now, when, when last we left you, you were I bidding have. on eBay to buy one of these Samsung, what is it, a Q1 it's a tablet. Oh, did you get a Q1? I got a Q1. It's not latest generation. It's probably one generation old. So you won the auction. and I won the auction. I ha- It took delivery. It's here. It works. No, no issues. Can we ask what you ended up paying for it? Uh, with shipping, less than seven fifty. Yeah. Ooh, that's good. Then you did definitely yeah. not a solid state drive. No, it is a solid state drive. You got one with a solid state drive for under the grand. Under seven fifty. That's awesome. <laughs> but who's counting? <laughs> who's counting? That's right. Very cool. Have so have you played with it yet? What's the deal? A- a- Amy, have, you I- should be taking him to buy your kids' school clothes. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> well, uh, uh Depends on what it's worth to her, but uh, uh, the hardware works. Uh, I'm waiting. In, you know, I can look at approach plates and all that kind of thing in it. I uh, am waiting for the uh, DVD to arrive from the FAA mm-hmm. with all the approach plates on it and the search engine. And then I've got to figure out how to make all this work and make it work in a cockpit. Right. And I'm not there yet. Right. But uh, one step at a time. How are you thinking that you're going to actually, you know, put it in the cockpit? Are you going to try and mount it? Right now, I'm not going to mount it. Uh, I'm just going to keep it loose, uh, just, you know, pick it up and look at it if I need to. Uh Uh, There are any number of mounting systems out there um, that I can use that are, you know, both non specific and specific to the Bonanza. Um, yeah, I'm right now. I'm just taking it one step at a time. Yeah. So I don't know. Jim, yes. what did the FAA charge you to ship you a disc? A DVD um, for 28 days with every approach plate, every arrival, every departure. Um, basically, all of the instrument approach plate books in the NACO format, in the FAA format, seventeen dollars and fifty cents. <laughs> yeah, we're going to be yeah. interested to hear how that works, Jeb. Are you? Yeah, it's 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 going to be interesting. Um, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm not getting my hopes up, and right, right. now, obviously, I don't have that much invested in this. But um, um, I don't know. Yeah, Amy, any last thoughts on the AEA show before we move on? Uh, I have to. I have to tell you that I thought it was fascinating, uh, and you know, they, they it was a great opportunity to to sit in, in in a very concentrated place and understand the kinds of things that uh, the avionics groups are up against, uh, regulatory and otherwise. And they are suffering too from from a lot of the same issues as the other maintenance and and uh, sections are suffering from with the FAA. But th- they are really a very strong group of people and well organized. So I, I was no, impressed. It's a good it's a good group. It's always a good show. I just haven't had a chance to to uh, be present for it in, in recent years, and uh, this is another one of those years. Yeah. But, uh, 
Sounds well, you're, you're in luck, Deb, because it's coming south again. And oh, really? I believe Where? Atlanta and Orlando are two of their next oh, cool. uh, shows. So. Oh, cool. Okay. They can't come to Sarasota, can they? <laughs> Tampa. Tampa. I'm such a, I know. I'm, I think I'm it's Dallas shy. next year and Orlando the year after. Yeah, uh, I think you're right about that. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. I'd almost yeah. give a major body part not to have to go to Orlando again. <laughs> Moving on. Let's see now. You may, you may as well keep the carving knife out, dude. <laughs> I know. When we were in, when we were at Sun and Fun, uh, I we talked. We had an opportunity to talk to a lot of our listeners. That was really cool. One of the listeners, um, who I'm not going to name for a couple of reasons, but but one of the listeners who I, I was chatting with um, at, at Lakeland uh, owns his own airport. Uh, and I'm not talking like, you know, he happened to own a farm and put a strip, a landing strip out in the backyard. He bought an airport. It's up in, in uh, sort of northern central New Hampshire. And uh, it's currently private. Uh, and apparently he's going to keep it private. And he's got some ideas of turning it into sort of a tourist destination kind of thing. Um, but I'm, I'm thinking about the idea of owning your own airport, you know, and I'm thinking... Well, that's that would be really cool, you know, to have my own airport, you know, and I, I'm 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 an event guy, anyways, you know, so I like putting on shows and I like putting together attractions and things, and and that got me to thinking, you know, what would you do if you had your own airport? What would you do to make your airport attractive so that people would come and fly to your airport? You know, I mean, I'm talking about real things, not like free gas. You know, what makes a great airport as a destination? Is I guess is my question. I would hire the people that would make it. That kind of attractive drop on in, say hello, buy some gas airport, and keep my bloody self out of there as much as possible. Why? Because because you would drive them away is what you're saying. <laughs> no, because if, if I got an airport that's working like that, yeah. I want to be out seeing new places. Yeah, okay. So you think pe- interesting people there, having a good staff? Uh, I think interesting food. people will always be a big draw. Yeah, food? A, a good yes. restaurant? A good restaurant. I think a good restaurant is really important. Uh, another another thing that I found is that it's air parks are very attractive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Having, having people live around you. So if I had enough land, I think I'd subdivide. I think I'd make it residential uh-huh. and pick the people I wanted to live there based on whether they were airplane people. Or aircraft people, because that's what you want around airports. You don't want neighbors who are gonna who are gonna complain. You want neighbors who want to utilize the resource you have there. Right, Jeb. What do you think? What what makes a great airport? Uh, excuse me, atmosphere. Um, you, what do you mean by atmosphere? I, I want to. Well, you you want to have things going on. There's there, there's you know something for the family. Uh, there's there's home builds, there's experimentals, there's antique airplanes out there. You might do some hot air balloons once a month. Um, pancake breakfasts are always good. Um, there's got to be something there that doesn't involve flying. Okay. Right. And I, and in your experience, do these things work? Um, you know, we see lots of small airports that are just struggling to stay alive. Um, are are they just not? Are they th- are they just missing out on some things they could do, or does this not work under the best of circumstances? Well, I I I don't have a good answer for you because it depends on the airport you're talking about that with the problem. Um, I, I look at one airport in the Washington D.C. area, which is Warrington Fog here, which um, is just outside of the Adas, so it's got a leg up on a lot of things. 
it's um, uh, I've known about it. I've flown in and out of it for more than twenty years now. Um, I've never based my airplane there because it was just too far to drive. But um, I know people who have their airplanes there. David, Dave Higdon knows people who have their airplanes there. Yeah, I've got several uh, friends there. Yeah, and, and there's always, uh, and we've talked about um, some of those friends on, on the podcast before in an annual event that they put on uh, that is uh, basically a, a, a hangar party. Uh, everybody opens up their hangers. They decorate them. Um, there's there. Yeah, alcohol will be served. Uh, no flying after the alcohol, of course. Um, but uh, that's the kind of thing that um, I'm talking about to try to get people interested in going out and and um, um, engaging a fellowship with other pilots, um, their well, families. It has, it has that community. Um, it it right. has that sense of community. Yeah. That was sort of my thought too. I, you know, I, like like you guys, I've been going to Oshkosh for so many years, and now I'm starting to go to Sun and Fun. And I, I often reach the end of my week at these events and think, man, I just don't want this to end. I wish there were some way that I could capture this this environment, this this you know this you know great sense, and and do it all year round, you know, or or at least do it more often. And I and I wonder whether you could create an environment at an airport that was sort of like a mini Oshkosh, you know, throughout the year. I think you can. I think it takes some effort, but I think that's what um, makes a run-of-the-mill place to land into an airport. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Interesting. I, I, I guess I'm. I guess I need to buy an airport and and do my thing here. I don't know. Well, I'll, yeah, I'll have to help. Yeah. I'll I'll come visit you. Okay. I'll fly in. Okay. I'll buy Absolutely. gas. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll come visit. I'll hold you to that. I'll hold you to that. Moving on here. Let's see now, Dave. You put you put up this one. I think this is a uh, the the uh, partnership uh, APA the air. Aircraft Partnership Association. Apparently, it's a dating service for people who want to be a partner in an airplane. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Yeah. That's a good way to describe it. And uh, the the question comes along periodically from uh, friends and acquaintances that are either looking for a way to keep an airplane or they're looking for a way to buy an airplane that they can't quite do on their own. You know, what about partnerships? Uh, I can offer no testimonials or recommendations about the effectiveness of this site, uh, but it was unusual enough that it kind of made me sit up and say, well, okay, that's a little different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as Jack put it, you know, kind of a kind of an e-harmony for the I want to partner on an airplane <laughs> set. Yep, okay. Well, you know, it's not a bad thing to have an e-harmony type, like, 29 question thing because no, it's, it's like getting married uh, being a absolutely. partner in Ab- absolutely yeah and we came close once uh right a I think co-worker if- of mine he was interested in partnering with us on the uh, on the little cherokee 140 we bought and uh the price was right his interest was right he had you know plenty of time and qualifications commercial instrument rated he should be able to handle it Cherokee 140 uh, and then we started talking about relative use and well he figured he was going to need it 20-30 hours a year maybe he could stretch it to 40 and uh, there were some times when it was going to be real key to, 
for him to have it for those times. And so, what what are you looking at? Well, I'm 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 looking at probably 15, 18 trips a year, and several of them being gone 12, 14, 15 days at a time. And uh, uh, if I if if I'm yeah. as lucky as I want to be, I'm going to be putting 130, 140 hours on the airplane in a year, maybe more. And it kind of fell apart over at that point. Over, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you can check out this site. It is, uh, we'll put it in the show notes, of course, but it's the website is theapa, T H E A P A dot com. And uh, it's the Aircraft Partnership Association. And again, it's an interesting idea. We know nothing about whether they do a good job or anything like that. So, you know, use caution. But uh, take a look. Uh, so, Amy, the. Uh, Barry, who we keep mentioning, Barry. Barry is your husband, uh, and we've mentioned uh, periodically that Barry's been building an RV, and you've reached some some big time milestones in that project recently. Tell us about that. We have, we have, uh, we have it uh, flying now, almost thirteen hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to give away too much because then nobody will read my column. But <laughs> no, no, they're all going to go racing to your column as a result uh, of this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and we have found that it's a very well-behaved machine. I have a couple of hours in it myself yeah. now, which is quite exciting. Which, I think which RV it, is it again? It's a it's an RV ten. It's a ten, okay. Which is a four-seater. Right now, it's only got three of those seats in it because uh, it's just easier that way. And, now, is the uh, ten the the tail dragger or the nose dragger? No, no. They only make the ten in a nose nose wheel airplane okay. with free casting nose wheel yeah. uh, with a, an IO540 Lycoming in it and it's a beast of a machine uh, it was uh, came off of an Aztec and was rebuilt by J&B aircraft uh-huh. in, uh, in Sebring, Florida and was immediately pickled it never ran really? and sat it came in June of 2000 and get this 2006 and we put it on and it has been on the airplane but didn't actually physically start until sometime in uh, mid-March yeah Funny story. We, so you, you actually sent us the video. You shot some video of that engine start, and uh, I did. And you sent it to to us, to a few of us, and uh, um, and it was cool. And then we actually were recording an episode of the podcast like that night or the next night, and so we were talking about it in in the in the podcast. And then and then when the podcast was all done, and we were kind of wrapping up, and we said, you know, I'm not. Do we? Did Amy really want us to be like talking about this? Or maybe maybe this is like was a private email. I don't know. So so we actually went back and cut that out. <laughs> we didn't talk about uh, your engine start, but there was a video of your engine start. And uh, um, so how did the f- the first flight went? Well, I take it. Uh, the first flight was an interesting flight. The, the right. flight itself was was a pretty good flight. Yeah. But I don't know. Did you get that video too? I haven't seen the video, but I've heard it, the story. Yeah. Is this a story you want to relate here? Or uh? Uh, certainly. I mean, it's the typical typical. Uh, airplane took off as it was taking off. It was a little puff of smoke and down by the wheels, and I thought. That's interesting. I wonder if he caught a break or something locked up. Something didn't look right. So I uh, called up on the radio and said, you know, you had a little puff of smoke with the, with the lift off there. And he's like, yeah, okay, well, I got a little shimmy. And somebody else came on and said, yeah, well, it was a pretty good shimmy there right at the end. He said, yeah, yeah, okay. And so he went up and did his one hour 
everything was nominal. Everything was good. And uh, we said, okay, well, you coming in back into Lent? Yeah. He said, all right, I'm going to take that, take that nice and easy. What'd you drop, Higdon? <laughs> um, <laughs> Lots of background noise tonight. Yeah, exactly. so he come in, he's coming in for the landing, and he doesn't know what's going to happen. Landing. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He only wants to use half flaps because it's the very first landing. Right, and, right. Uh, but he's going to hold it off as long as he can, hold that nose wheel off. And he did. He did a beautiful main gear touchdown, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. And just as it's flying through the frame on the video, you hear, <laughs> which is the nose wheel, which was no longer rolling because it had uh, frozen in uh, bearing. Uh-huh. And it was stuck. And yeah. so it took a pretty good beating, but uh, it did not... The, the nose gear itself did not collapse or do anything. It has a big donut-type uh, shock absorbers in it, so similar to what you see on a Mooney mm-hmm. uh, landing gear. Yeah. And it, it took that punishment pretty darn good. Hmm. And, well, I know uh, a guy who's, who's had a lot of experience recently in changing tires. I'm sure I can yeah, see yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. It did, it, <laughs> in fact, it, it looked a lot like one of those tires. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, who did I show a picture. Did I show a picture to you? Uh, I, don't, I don't remember seeing that. I thought I showed it to Higdon, maybe. So you've got this um, wheel now that's got like one really flat side to it. and uh, Yeah, well, it ain't rolling real good anymore. In fact, it's not rolling at all. So as he was, he was coming off the runway and I was behind him in the car, had completely abandoned the video part. So the video is really oh, not wow. the best video in the world. Um, and I said, um, I think you should shut down. He said, why? And I said, because it's not rolling at all. <laughs> you're, gonna, you're using an awful lot of power to taxi. Uh-huh. So, what did, how did you, so where did he shut down? Like on the taxiway? Shut or? down right in the middle of, yeah, which is a road here. So it was the middle of, the, of Base Lake Avenue. And went back and got the tractor and a dolly. Ah, okay. And we put the, lift the nose wheel up, put it on the dolly, and tractored it, just pulled it back to the hangar. And uh, that was that was the first flight. Uh, the only damage was that the nose wheel, of course, had to be rebuilt, and that took a day or two. And subsequent flights have really been been very good shakedown flights. Everything is working beautifully, but we've had a few things fail. And so, uh, and this is not in ten hours of flying. The good news is it wasn't an engine. It's not a cylinder. It's not, you know, it's a. Cylinder head probe, an EGT probe, and a magnetometer. You could do Not, worse. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. Well, we want to hear more about that uh, as uh, things. So is the construction finished, or are you, you just kind of reach the point where you can fly and there's still more construction? Well, obviously, you need to put some more seats in it, I guess, right? Well, Jack, <laughs> when you talk to people, there's two ways to do a home build. One way is that you just build it and paint it, you put it all together, and when it's done, you start to fly it. And then there's the other philosophy, which is you get it green, and then you go fly for a while, and you do the shakedowns. And then when you're content that you have a strong engine and a good functioning uh, wiring and avionics package, and it's all working then you worry about the details like putting the fairings on and getting the paint done and things like that. I got to ask you a question. How do you think Bombardier, Cessna, um, 
how do you think they do it? I, I don't know. How do they do it? I can tell you how they do it. They fly their airplanes green. Yeah. And then when they're when it passes the basic green tests, they send it to the paint shop. Yeah. 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 And that's what we're doing. Well, we want more reports and uh and if if you would uh would do us the honor, we'd love it a picture we could put on the website. I'm sure people would love to see uh see the airplane and uh and and maybe even the video, but you you decide. And uh, uh, yeah, I I'd be delighted to do that, and I can direct them to the Kit Plains blog. Uh, also at blogspot blogspot I believe. Yeah, that's right. Oh, that's right. We, we mentioned that last week. That's the one that you yeah. and Dave wrote for it at uh, at. Uh, Sun and fun, and I guess still, right? Are you still making postings there? I actually do a posting every other week, so, uh, and I'm doing postings about our our fly off time and the build, so it's a great place to go to see see pictures of it. And uh, the one thing I was going to do is make my apologies. We had a long discussion the other night, and we've both decided because of delays getting into the paint shop that we will not fly it to Oshkosh this year because we're not willing to have it sit on the line without paint uh it it needs to go in a hangar every night without paint at this point i see just not worth it yeah yeah okay well great congratulations on reaching that congratulations to barry and uh and uh sounds very exciting want to hear more about that as time goes on oh absolutely Here's a, a, a quick posting from the forums. Um, we mentioned on the podcast uh, quite some time, well, not quite, about probably a month or two ago, about, uh, I, actually, it was another forum posting. It was a, a listener who uh, was flying with a buddy in a, I believe it was a Cessna 140, and had some trouble in flight and uh, thought that they had had a bird strike on the tail and managed to wrestle the airplane home. And when they got on the ground, they realized that there was a large piece of, of wing skin missing from from the the left wing, as I recall. Uh, Listener Greg Bockelman uh, chimes in on this subject and says, uh, it was mentioned that the pilots of the 140 chose not to declare an emergency. He writes, I don't know why it is, but people seem to be real hesitant to declare emergencies. If there's any doubt whatsoever whether an emergency should be declared, go ahead and do it, he writes. He says, by doing so, you get all of the assistance that ATC has to offer. It's better to declare and not need it than to not declare and wish you had. And contrary to what you uh, might perceive as the popular belief there is very seldom any consequence to declaring an emergency i've been involved excuse me i've been involved in a couple and never heard anything from it and uh you know i mean you guys have way more experience than i but my little experience tells me that this is absolutely the truth that uh, if you get yourself in a jam you shouldn't hesitate to declare an emergency to get the services you need and get on the ground safely what do you guys think no, absolutely right. Um, the, the one time that I felt I needed to, I declared an emergency and in um, the discussion, uh, got what I needed and, and got the airplane on the ground. I, I think in the instant case with the with the Cessna 140 thing, um, I, I don't think those guys were anywhere where they could declare an emergency. In other words, I don't think those guys were uh, at, a, at a towered facility. You can declare an emergency all you want on Unicom and it gives you a great warm, fuzzy feeling. That's about it. Yeah, you're right. Actually, I'm trying to remember whether that was a towered towered airport. I don't or not, think but. it was. I'm, my memory might be faulty. Um, uh, who, yeah, if, if a tree falls in the forest, does anyone hear it? Yeah, yeah. But but in general, it's a good thing to have in your kind of bag of tricks the realization that uh, if you get in a jam, 
and you're and you're dealing with ATC, declaring an emergency is not a forbidden thing that you gotta you know. I mean, if you're really in a jam, declare an emergency, and uh, you're not gonna, you know. There there are few bad consequences to declaring an emergency when you, in good faith, believe you need to. No one's going to beat you up over it. Yeah. No one's going to beat you up over it. Yeah. No. Yeah. What were you going to say, Dave? Well, I had two instances where controllers actually put it to me. Did I want to declare an emergency? And uh, uh, one, I had an electrical system. I had an alternator failure in IMC. And uh, about 50 miles out from my destination airport, and it was daylight, and it looked like we were going to break out and be able to go VMC in plenty of time. Well, plenty of time might have been a little optimistic, but it, it, it you know, wasn't down to minimums. And I said, no, but if it gets worse, I will. And about that time, I remembered my landing gear was electric, so I put it down right away, 48 miles from the airport, because I didn't want to get to the airport and not have enough juice to put down the wheels. And then I would have a real emergency on top of what was almost. Any other time, the engine was overheating and knocking and acting like it was going to seize up. I asked for priority handling to get to an airport where I could make a precautionary landing. Do you want to declare an emergency? Uh, I don't really feel like it's going to be an emergency unless it quits. So if we can get me there before it quits, we won't have to deal with that. And the guy said, yeah, right away. Uh, You move and you guys turn this way. And Mm -hmm. so it was very much like declaring an emergency. And uh, I probably should have on that last instance said, yeah, let's make this work. I was going to say, you know, it does it doesn't cost you anything, and it gets you a whole lot, right? I, th- I I think I did that as much for my psyche and my passenger psyche, as, which is a know, good reason. You yep. know, if if All I don't declare considered. this an emergency, I'll be a lot calmer in handling the emergency. Okay, that's an interesting way of viewing it. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, let's see. Now, this. Let's not turn this into a big, big thing, because Lord knows we have in the past. Uh, there has been some progress, some news on FAA reauthorization in the last couple of days. And uh, who wants to talk about this? Uh, Dave, You uh, a couple of days ago, we heard that suddenly Congress was going to move for a vote on this, and you went into the forums and posted an alert telling people that time had come to send some more mail to our Congress people. And... Uh, and no sooner did that happen than we then heard another story that said that, in fact, they've already taken user fees out of the bill. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, that's pretty much uh, right on the point. So this is uh, a really good thing. This is a really good thing up to this point. Uh, the uh, good senator, senior, uh, junior senator, I'm sorry, from West Virginia, uh, Jay Rockefeller, uh, kind of showed that his willingness to bend on the user fees that he'd been insisting on by you know saying he'd be open to an alternative if there was going to be money dedicated specifically to next generation air traffic control system development and that's already in the house bill and they were trying to put it in the senate bill uh dedicating a part of a fuel tax increase to the next generation air traffic control system. So on Friday, the committees, uh, Commerce and Finance in the Senate, they kissed and made up. Uh, Turbine-powered aircraft are getting hit with, I think, a four-cent higher increase than had been the original proposal. 
thought it was several cents higher. I, well, I thought it was going from thirty-one five to thirty-six, uh, and that was I, that was already a raise from right. twenty-four or something like let me, that. Let me and, go. And that's basically an increase on the tax on jet fuel, right? Right. Correct. Right. Correct. And there was already uh, language that was going to dedicate a portion of the higher level okay. that uh, is yeah. going to go. Dave, I'm tax. sorry, Dave. Uh, according to AvWeb. Yeah. Uh, the, the the tax on jet fuel for general aviation will rise 65% to $0.36 cents a gallon from the current $0.21.8. Cents. Right. Okay. And there was, a, there was a lower increase proposed over on the House side. Mm-hmm. I believe it was about $0.32 cents or something like that, or $0.31. Cents. Is, that okay? rate, Is that an okay compromise, or, or should we be out beating the bushes for our brothers and sisters in defer to gamma and nbaa on that question but unless they start beating the drum that it's not an okay compromise uh yeah probably is yeah and, I know and this is here's only- the deal this this was this this action this compromise action happened friday yeah. uh it is now sunday evening and i have seen nothing but email saying user fees are gone it's going to move ahead. It could get cleared for a Senate vote as early as Monday. Uh, too early for anybody to have heard this. But nonetheless, uh, things are starting to get traction now. And the ironic part of it to me is that the traction's coming not from the need to fix ATC and develop next gen. It's coming from all the political fallout involving the FAA and the inspection cycles and flights on the airlines canceled because of inspection cycles and uh, a whole can of worms like that. So the feeling is to before Congress can go beating up further on FAA over that stuff, Congress needs to fix the FAA's reauthorization. Otherwise, it can be held up to the standard of saying, yeah, you can't keep your own house. So. There you go. Yeah, good for us. Small favors. Yeah, well, it's good progress. It's good progress, and uh, I mean, it, it, it's it's a lot better than what we feared might happen. So yeah, so that's yeah. good. That's good. So, but before, by the time people listen to this, they may have already seen the news about it about it passing. And uh, uh, well, and if it passes the Senate on Monday or Tuesday, then there's a conference committee with the House because there's differences in aversions, but those differences are a lot less dramatic after Friday's action than they were before. We could actually have a bill by, uh, ooh, dare I say it, uh, Memorial Day. Yeah. Ooh, wouldn't that be nice? Now, does this mean we're going to start to see motion on the uh, administrator as well? No. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. Okay. All right. More on that later on. Um, looking forward to Oshkosh. Amy, are you involved with this, uh, and I don't know the exact name of it, but I'm going to call it the Women in Aviation program that they're doing at Air Venture this year? Are you, I am. Tell us about I, that. What's that all about? Ed, they're, they're, I believe the loose name for it would be the Women Venture, but really what we're trying to do is set a record of the most women pilots in one place at one time ever. Cool. More than 99, right? That's a more than ninety nine. <laughs> oh. Once upon a time, that was the right number, but it's a much bigger number these days, and that's very cool. So, what's the? And are there going to be activities and and so forth? There Not are. There. <laughs> Better now, he could come as a member of the press. By most definitely. Oh. Um, 
There are going to be activities and seminars, and also it, it will uh, con- join up with the uh, Women's SOAR activities, which have been for the youth for the last couple of years mm-hmm. that I've been involved with, and um, help to inspire a new generation of uh, young women to think about uh, careers in aviation and aerospace. So the goal, the goal is really to inspire um, and to try and unify. As, as you might imagine, there are good things that come out of uh, getting people together who are like-minded, mm-hmm. and uh, we hope to really uh, make the energy really positive at Oshkosh this year with this, with this. We'll culminate with a um, big gathering on Aeroshell Square on August 1st, which is a Friday, and uh, women in aviation will also have a big uh, breakfast that morning at the Nature Center. So uh, it it should be a lot of fun. And and cool. is this for j- just for women who are already pilots, or or what about women no. who are interested in in becoming pilots? No, though though we're trying to set a record with women who are already pilots, we are more than happy. In fact, our goal is to inspire women to become pilots. So, so it's absolutely about uh, informing and inspiring and uh, showing people that this is a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. And this is, I mean, this sounds like a really cool program, but I've been noticing for years now there are more and more women at Oshkosh who are clearly pilots and clearly involved in aviation every year more than the year before. It's awesome. And, uh, um, you know, I mean, Oshkosh is notable. You know, it's got this this what do they call it the the wives tent or something like that. This is just like disturbs me no end. But uh, yeah, um, yeah. Because, and one because, one thing we'd really like to do is dispel the myth that the women are there to shop and uh, you know and knit and and diaper babies in the in the uh, Kimberly Clark uh, tent. And and I think that it's really important that the vendors at Oshkosh suddenly realize that though there may be women there who are diapering babies in the Kimberly Clark tent, uh, they are also flying airplanes. Oh yeah. Yep. <laughs> It's very clear. It's very, very clear that there are more and more women who are there because they're into aviation and not because they're a spouse or a significant other. And uh, the more, the, I'm sorry, see, Jeb's going to give me a hard time. I was going to say the more the merrier. No, really. I'm not having more women, I, I, having just, more women just, involved in aviation makes aviation better for all of us. And so, I'm thinking of a 1950s style magazine ad that shows mom in the front seat of the Cessna bragging about how easy the autopilot makes it for her to change Junior's diaper. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's not the way it is anymore at all. Yeah. Speaking of AirVenture, uh, so what's the story, Dave? Can we order the Notam now? Do we have to order the Notam? You can the order the Notam. You, you, if you're coming up there without the Notam, you better be in a car yeah. or a, sure. a, an airline passenger. Uh, or by boat, right. making an amphibious landing off Lake Winnebago, because we don't want to hear about people coming up there in their aircraft trying to land at Oshkosh or uh, Appleton or Fond du Lac, for that matter, without the bloody NOTAM. And yes, it's available now for order through the EAA website, and they'll send you a book uh, well in advance of the show, so you can study up. And have it there, you know, on 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 the kneeboard with you when you need it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Having read and passed the quiz, of course. There you go. Uh, any shout-outs? Anything going on out there? Anybody want to uh, give a little tip of the hat to? Or 
I'd like to tip my hat off to the local uh, EAA, Chapter 88, and uh, the local Commemorative Air Force, the uh, Jayhawk Wing, for a uh, little do they had prior weekend up at uh, Newton, Kansas, uh, fly-in, pancake breakfast, uh, fundraiser for the CAF, and Young Eagles rides all in one. Uh, they sounds had quite like a crowd. Yeah, they had quite like a crowd. Fun. And it was brisk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the guys that flew up the open cockpit airplanes, they actually <laughs> they actually looked World War II like because it was just about that chilly. Yeah, really. Whatever became of that uh, Kansas aviation thing? Did you get a chance to go out and, and see it with your eyes or No. Uh, I bad. did not. Uh, there's did that go by already? Yes, I it did. Think it's yeah, it did. It was a little over a week ago. Yeah. Uh, did not get a chance. There's another uh, barnstorming circuit coming through the area in about a week. Uh, and then, gee, many, I need to make a list off Dead Cow's uh, bulletin board because there's enough little fly-ins and uh, fly-outs and poker runs coming uh, now that uh, spring weather's here and Memorial Day's approaching. Uh, there's going to be a lot of good excuses to go out and exercise your wings yep well i have i have one more exciting uh, trip in the next couple of days i've been invited out to san diego for the red bull races so oh, uh, cool ask me how that went in about a week and a half I, and I absolutely will very excited to, to talk to you about it someone was telling me i should go to detroit to see it is that later when it yes detroit yeah. is uh the first weekend in uh june so the last weekend in may so you should absolutely go if you can get a press pass do it yeah i might do it i've seen video of it it looks pretty pretty exciting actually and uh that might be kind of fun okay jeb anything nope not okay. for me okay Stick a fork in it. Well, if you want to learn more about uh, Amy and her work, you can check out uh, her magazine's website at wai.org slash magazine. That's whiskeyalphaindia.org slash magazine. Learn more about Dave and his uh, writings and so forth at kitplanes.com or avbuyer.com slash sales, or just Google his name and, and ignore the tennis guy. Uh, you can learn more about Jeb and his work at jebburnside.com, also aviationsafetymagazine.com and avweb.com, and myself at jackhodgson.com or aroundthefield.net. And check out all of us uh, in, in the forums and in the blog and uh, other things at uh, our website, uncontrolledairspace.com. So thank you, everyone, for joining us in the virtual hangar this evening, and we'll talk to you all again next time. Bye.